Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. Today on the mic, we got Mike Coleman. What's going on, Mike? How much, man? Just hanging out, enjoying the evening. How about yourself? Uh, well, I'm running back-to-back podcasts. It's been a busy day, but I've been good. To, uh, otherwise, I mean, that's not a bad day, right? <laughs> no, probably a lot more uh, exciting than my day at work. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it could always be worse. It could always be worse. Yeah. So, uh, kind of the topic of discussion today is, uh, I really want to talk about just like the hunting lifestyle. Uh, you had reached out to me about doing a podcast and we were kind of going back and forth on what to talk about. And, uh, I, you kind of like brought up a little bit about your background and I thought that just kind of talking about that could be a podcast in and of itself. So, uh, We'll, we'll title this The Hunting Lifestyle, but to start off, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself, who you are, where you're from, how you got into hunting, that kind of deal. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, um, well, kind of a, a tough question because it's not like uh, you know, people ask that all the time. I mean, a lot of different people view hunting as a lot of different things and um, uh, what it means to me and like-minded people kind of as yourself it uh um, means a lot a lot of different things but anyway um i'm originally from florida um i got started hunting with my grandfather at a very young age i mean as far as i can remember back um i was always with him he's a uh um, disabled uh, vietnam veteran um was always in hunting, um, part of the boat club down there, um, and just pretty much hunting, fishing, everything outdoors we always did together. Um, with him being uh, disabled, not able to work, uh, he had a lot of free time, so that's what we did when I either had a long weekend or vacation, I had very supportive parents. Uh, my grandpa actually uh, raised me for a good part of my childhood, um, just because I spent a lot of time with him, and um, so uh, as far as uh, getting started, um, it was definitely because of him, um, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. So I mean, that's um, 32. So you're looking 20, 25 years probably. Nice. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been in the woods for a really long time, and uh, I lived up in Michigan for a um, few years with my mom. Um, she moved up there. I hunted up there. Um, I live in Tennessee now um, with my wife, and uh, I've hunted here, Indiana, kind of just got back from Montana in November, um, going to New Mexico next year. Um, so we, I've, I've been doing it for a really long time, and um, yeah. Well, let me let me pause you there, because I, I think there's going to be some overlapping qualities uh, with kind of potentially how you were raised and how I was raised, so... I want to rewind here a little bit. Um, Let's talk about your grandpa a little bit. Uh, Was he a hard ass? Um, According to my dad, uh, he was. He was very, very hard on my dad um, from from the stories that I hear. (laughs) Um, Now, as far as me, um, I would say a lot of, uh, I mean, basic morals of, you know, anything that, I say a good parent, but a parent shouldn't steal in their kids. Um, you know, my grandfather did, uh, integrity, um, you know, being trustworthy, being a man of your word, uh, you know, firm handshake, handshake, stuff like that. Um, just all the basic principles of just being a good, a good person. So, um, to, but to, to answer your question, uh, for, from what I hear from my dad, he was, to me, I think I got the more relaxed version. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So, I pretty much grew up in the exact same scenario. Uh, I got into hunting and fishing and the outdoors in general through my grandfather. And uh, he was a hard ass. He was not a hard ass on me. And as my aunts and uncles and my mother would say, I got the best version of him. (laughs) And he instilled some of the same qualities that you're talking about uh, into me. And I got lucky in 
what I would say, honestly, potentially in your scenario, you kind of got lucky. It may have been a, a, a disability for him, but you got to spend a lot of time with him based upon that scenario, right? So it's almost... Oh, yeah. go, go ahead. I would say 100%. And that's the thing with him being disabled, too, just to touch kind of briefly on that. Um, you know, he's uh, disabled, missing uh, one of his legs from about mid-thigh down. And uh, he is probably one of the most inspirational people in my life. Just because of his disability, I've watched him climb tree stands. He's hunted. He's fished. Um, in anything that I would say a normal hunter would do, or a fisherman, or even a, just just a basic outdoorsman, I mean, archery, shooting, anything, um, he's done. And to see him persevere through his, you know, uh, disability and stuff, and do the everything that he's done with me and you know, on his own and everything else just is a uh, very inspiring um, to me as an individual. Cause you know, I get a lot of people that say, you know, Hey, you know, I've, I've had an accident and you know, I'm, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to hunt again or fish or whatever. You know, I, I was, you know, talking about my grandfather and just say, you know, Hey, like I've been around this all my life. And you know, if, if you want it bad enough, you can do it. I mean, like I said, he, he, uh, he's the one that went with me to Montana and just, having him there was, was, was honestly a true blessing. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, seeing him, like I said, do everything that he does, uh, is just something else. But yeah, with with his disability, they give us a lot of time to spend in the woods and, you know, doing all the things that we enjoy to do. So it it definitely, it's a very, I guess, I don't know if you call it a misfortunate blessing. I don't know if that's a thing, but. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. So here's, here's the crazy part. So, my my pat my grandfather um he was actually missing his right arm from the elbow down wow. and it was pretty much the exact same scenario like anything that i could do he could do as good or better and yeah. he had that from a very early standpoint um and it didn't really prevent him from doing anything in the in the woods um yeah. And kind of going back to like the time thing, he retired like when I turned 12. So you can't hunt in Pennsylvania until you turn 12. So basically almost my entire hunting career up until he died, I was able to go with him. So Mm -hmm. he showed me and instilled into me like a lot of the woodsmanship that I learned at an early age was from him. Uh, Did your grandfather hunt at an early age or his whole life? Uh, yeah, um, so uh, our family actually owned uh, property down in the Everglades in Florida, and uh, I mean, shoot. my great-grandfather, um, who I, I was very fortunate to have uh, around um, at a young age, on up into my teens, and even my early 20s, um, uh, wasn't much of a hunter, but i tell you what, as far as fishing, he you could put a five-gallon bucket out there with water in it, he'd he pull out a 10-pound bass, man. Like, he, <laughs> he he was the epitome of the ultimate bass fisherman. And he did it all the way up until his 90s. Um, he, he was he was a great person. But as far as hunting, he never did, but my, my grandfather always did. He's the one who got my dad involved in it um, at a young age with him. Like, they were always going down to the woods hunting, you know, being outside, doing all that stuff. So, um, so, what, so were yeah. some of the, what were some of the early... Um the early things that you remember hunting with uh, your grandfather and your dad? Um, there's there's one particular uh, instance that I, I, re- I remember very, very, I guess, vaguely. Uh, we were down there. Actually, we used to hunt off of uh, buggies, like swamp buggies. And mm-hmm. um, we were down there at a place called, uh, I think it was Turner River. And we, uh, we were bow hunting. And I remember being down there and messing with arrows or something. He's like, oh, you better quit messing with those. You're going to cut yourself. And sure enough, like three seconds later, I split my hand wide open, bleeding everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember him telling me, like, I told you that. Now we got to go back to camp and get y'all fixed up. <laughs> but 
it was always one of them things that, uh, you know, he, he always enjoyed having me around, even if, you know, we weren't killing anything. It was always still the experience. For so. sure. For sure. So you, you mentioned something there and I've heard it before, um, hunting with the swamp bug buggies and being from Florida, uh, there's, there's quite the, uh, I would say, how do I word this U- uniqueness to hunting down there? So let's, yep. let's yep. talk about some of that here a little bit. Um, yep. and, and kind of get like an insider's perspective. So let's tell yep. me a little bit about what swamp buggy hunting's like. So there's actually, there's a couple places down there. Um, River Ranch, uh, Cecil Webb, uh, Babcock Webb, and uh, Turn River. I think you can still get in Bear Island, a couple other places, and obviously down in Axel Everglades and stuff. You can you can take swamp buggies down there, and, and mainly the biggest thing with hunting off of them is a lot of South Florida places that you're going to hunt are going to have uh, palmetto bushes. So the biggest thing is getting over top of them palmetto bushes, uh, being able to see, and uh, a lot of times, we're actually running dogs, um, which is uh, what we do in North Florida, which I was just there for Thanksgiving. Um, we run dogs in Appalachian National Forest uh, for deer without swamp buggies or anything like that. But um, it is a very unique experience. Um, if it's not something anybody has done, it's something that I would always tell somebody to at least try it once, either on swamp buggies or hunting off airboats if you, if you can get the opportunity to do it it's, it's a lot of fun it's definitely a very old way and I, I guess the old style of hunting that a lot of people just aren't familiar with because you know the the modern you know mid-eastern midwestern hunting style you know being in tree stands and you know all that stuff that's just kind of the normal mo or just going out and sitting by a tree but um, Florida definitely has some very unique hunting styles. That that is for sure. So with the so with the swamp uh, buggy hunting, what are you doing? Um, pretty much riding around over these palmetto bushes and everything else, trying to really jump deer, see deer. If we're running dogs, we're trying to. Uh, it's actually kind of neat when you're running dogs with them. The dogs would be out on the front of the buggy, and they'll pick up the scent smell a deer and they'll start barking howling or whatever then you'll let them out and then once the dogs kind of get on the track follow them or if they jump the deer then you're pretty much in a hot pursuit to try to get out in front of them so So, i think one of the common misconceptions with it is that uh you're basically just driving around and like jumping deer out of their beds like literally i think people think that you are almost running them over and jump them out in front of the buggy and then you shoot them like that. It's not quite like that, correct? No, I mean, there's, there are times, I mean, I mean, it's no different than if you're Ohio or any, anywhere else where, you know, you got a you know harvester out there harvesting corn and you'll see the numerous pictures of, you know, big bucks and corn husks and stuff like that in the heads and deer a lot of times won't get up until you literally are on top of them. So, to say that that's what you're out trying to do, no, but it does happen. Gotcha, gotcha. But that's not that's not the. I guess that's not the. Hey, we're gonna go ride around and try to run one over and, or get one popped up or something like that. So, um, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that, like it does sound like a lot of fun. Um, I've been told about it a couple times, and uh, especially like the dog aspect of it. Uh, I've ran coon hounds in the past, and I mean, mm-hmm. I think any houndsman, one, just loves the, the, the sound of hearing the dogs work. And then two, <laughs> yeah. just being in that atmosphere, if you've never done it, it's it's something to be said because it like, I, I for me, it feels like it brings me back to like the purest form of hunting. You know what I mean? Like, like really like yeah. primitive style of hunting. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's the thing. You know, there's a lot of places... Um, like in, in Michigan, just for an example, um, I lived up there. There was a lot of guys that were older. Um, you know, they lived up their whole life. You know, they did deer drives. And I don't know. You know, Pennsylvania might maybe that part of the country that also does those. But oh yeah, 
when you think about when you think about it, you know, doing a deer drive, if you're out there hunting with dogs, I mean, you just using the dogs to do the drive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a you know a new thing, but it's definitely a different, I guess, spin on it. And uh, there is definitely something to be said when you when you're in the woods and you hear them start working and stuff, and, it, and you know they're getting closer. It, it's it's definitely exciting. And I I would also add that it's not necessarily easier, correct? Uh, it, no, it's definitely not. And that's people. Are, oh yeah, you just get the get the dogs and they just run the deer right to you, and it's like, well, that that ain't always the case. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, yeah, one one deer oftentimes double back, and then two, um, <laughs> to get off a clean ethical shot or just a shot in general when potentially they're running Mach twelve. Uh, makes it yeah. makes, makes it really tough. So it's funny that you mentioned yeah. the 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 deer driving. So yeah, I'm going on Monday to do that, and I really haven't rifle hunted a whole lot um, in the past like five to seven years. And mm-hmm. I've been out twice this rifle season, and no, I'm sorry, three times, and two of those times I was driving deer, and yeah. I bet you we saw sixty deer. And maybe got, I don't know, six shots. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to, the, the misconception that it's easy and you're out there just stacking up animals, that's just not reality. Oh, no, it's, it's definitely not. And that's the thing. A lot of times you'll get, you know, the, the deer will be out 150 yards in front of the dog. So a lot of times, sometimes, not a lot of times, sometimes, You'll get where, you know, you'll get the deer come out. You'll see them, get them in an opening or something like that. And they're just kind of trotting along because they know the dogs are far enough behind them that they can kind of hang out for a second, take a breather. And usually that's when you at least try to get a, a good, clean, ethical shot because, you know, obviously that's the, the number one thing with hunting is making sure you're ethical about your shot and shot placement and stuff like that, making sure you don't wound something and let it get away and, you know, it suffers because obviously that's, you know, ethics of hunting. So, right, but it's it's definitely not easy. So, so how long did you live in Florida for? I lived in Florida up until I was about I was born there. Um, actually, born in Fort Myers, and then I lived there until I was about fifteen. And that's when I moved to Michigan, and I lived there until I was. 20, whew, 20, 24, 25 maybe. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, while you were living in Florida up until you moved, uh, mm-hmm. you were doing some whitetail hunting, hog hunting, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What other, what other, uh, hunting were you doing down there? Uh, mainly whitetail, um, we did hog hunt uh, quite quite often. Uh, it wasn't something that we were die hard about. We just did it. Um, we turkey hunted, uh, which is something I, I absolutely love. And um, we do the occasional dove hunts, but uh, really that's about it. I mean, nothing right. nothing too crazy, nothing too exotic or anything like that. So when you moved to uh, Michigan, that had to be like pretty big culture shock, right? 100%. And that's, you know, my mom, my mom moved up there. Uh, my parents split up when I was young. And uh, my mom moved up there with my stepdad. And it was kind of one of them things where I was kind of uh, getting ready to start high school and everything. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's different. You know, let's go give it a try. And then it, it definitely was. Uh, you know, people, obviously environment, weather, you know, it's everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, did you start hunting as soon as you moved up there, or uh, did that take you a little bit to warm up to? It took me a little bit to warm up to. Um, up there where we live, um, I mean, obviously Michigan's a, a big hunting state, and uh, it was very hard for me moving up there not knowing anybody um, to really get into somewhere where I could, I could hunt. Um you know, I went around and I, I talked to farmers that had land and stuff. And they either say, you know, we got, you know, somebody's already hunting it or, no, we've had a hunter here in the past. And they, you know, 
didn't listen to anything that we said and they kind of ruined it for everybody or just a no. So um, it was it was definitely hard. Um, I did a lot of public land hunting up there um, where I was. And I mean, it was, I'd say typical public land. I mean, I, I, I say that lightly because I know there's going to be probably a lot of people that, you know, are super big in the public land hunting, which I hunted. Um, but it was very uh, pressured. Um, a lot of a lot of guys out there hunting. I mean, and the areas that we had. So success rates for me were very little because of the overabundance of people that have been there for a really long time. You know, me being in a totally new area, kind of scout, kind of. I mean, whitetail is a whitetail, but you get to certain areas of the country, and you know, there's a little bit of change that happens with them and stuff. And just trying to learn all that, you know, it, it took a little while. So that's that's what I want to talk about. All right, let's talk about the the change in coming from Florida, where you have a rut that runs from uh, July to February, and you have a totally different habitat structure versus going to Michigan, where you have a traditional rut and uh, what most people would consider uh, normal habitat structure. Let's talk about that a little yep. bit and like kind of how long it took you to adapt to that, how you, the trials and tribulations that you went through with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, really the, the biggest change in that, like you said, was rut, um, wind deer or up moving their cycles, trying to figure that out. That's, any hunter will attest that that's a big lot of time. I mean, especially a completely new area. But, I mean, if you stick to the basics, um, you know, knowing when your average, you know, rut will start, pre-rut, post-rut, you know, kind of your, I guess your October low, they call it. Um, at least they do here in Tennessee, because we honestly just had it. I had my target bucks go back up after two months. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it was definitely challenging to get all that stuff figured out. Um, it took me probably a good, uh, probably year and a half to kind of figure out the public land that I was able to hunt. Um, but it was one of those things that not knowing anybody, you know, during the summer and stuff like that, I was obviously in the woods. I mean, I didn't have, I mean, I met friends and stuff like that. I met a couple, couple buddies that, um, I still kind of reach out to and talk to every now and then that, uh, you know, that hunt. Um, but scouting areas and just kind of being in the woods, I mean, it's really the, the biggest thing. And then knowing when they're going to be up moving and finding your water and your food sources and bedding areas and everything else. That's, that's you know, fundamentally key to, to hunting, just finding all that stuff out. So after that year and a half, did you start putting down some animals like uh... – like you started putting the pieces of the puzzle together? Well, once I kind of got it figured out, um, I had taken a few does on public land, um, some pretty nice does. Um, no real big bucks. There was some small bucks that I was kind of, I mean, I, I'm, I love big, big bucks. I mean, I, anybody does. So um, my thing is if I'm going to you know, shoot some eat it, which is what I do, um, I'm going to come and take a doe. I'm not going to shoot small bucks. I'm going to let them grow up, have potential, and somebody else takes them because that's that's their thing. I mean, that's more power to them. I mean, ain't nothing wrong with that, but that's just not my thing. So, um, nothing big. No big bucks, just does. And then shortly after that, uh, lifestyle kind of changed a little bit uh, with my career and stuff, and it kind of pushed me out of the woods a little bit, not really by choice, but um, I just didn't really have time. So, um, I was kind of out of it for a little while, and then um, once I moved down here to Tennessee, it, it picked back up instantaneously, and it's been full problem since. So, so how long was that uh, stint for? And then, do you do you want to talk about like kind of how like like what the time restraints were? Were there any times that like you you wanted to get it back into it, but like you were just still so forced out of it? Yeah. So. Um, I had just gotten in a relationship with somebody, and um, the things like hobbies that, that we had together, um, we had horses and all kinds of stuff, and mm-hmm. going to horse shows and doing all that stuff. Like, horses. It kind of took up a lot of, a lot of time. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody that has animals knows that they're, they're needy. <laughs> yep. Um, and 
uh, that was probably for a good course. It was probably about four years, four, about four or five years, I, I'd say. Um, that I kind of was, kind of got pushed on the back burner. I mean, and I, it's something that I wanted to do, um, but it just, I just honestly couldn't find the time. And it's just one of those things that I, you get, you kind of make excuses like, well, you know, I, I can do that tomorrow. I can do that next weekend. Or I, I'll, I'll be better about it next year. And then it just kind of next year comes around and you're like, well, I'll be better about it next year, you know? And, uh, then, um, had some stuff changed and I actually moved to Tennessee. Um, shortly after that, um, for a job, and, uh, that's kind of when things changed again for me, <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, being up there, right, right before I left Michigan, it was probably about four years, four and a half years that I didn't, I didn't really get to hunt, and, I mean, to say it, it sucks, it is. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, it's something that I, I really enjoy to do, so. So how old were you when you moved to uh, Tennessee? I was 20, 27, I think. It was 26 or 27. Okay. So, it, was, it, was in, it was in 2014, so we'll say that when I, when I moved down here. Okay. So how much of a, uh, of a culture shock was that? I, I would think that it wouldn't be as bad as moving from Florida to Michigan, but I'm sure there's still a lot of changes from Michigan to Tennessee, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, milder weather, definitely. <laughs> um, not so hard to winter. Uh, people, uh, I don't want to say are nicer. I mean, cause it, uh, I knew plenty of nice people in Michigan, nothing bad about any Michiganders or anything like that. Um, they're great people. Um, but You're getting being, close to that southern hospitality stuff, right? And uh, where I live, um, which is currently where we live now, uh, we're about 45 minutes from Nashville. So obviously, you know, you go down there, and I mean, it's, it's a huge thing to everything they got going on down there, all the bars. You know, it's a big tourist place, but um, where we live, it's it's out in the country. So uh, definitely, like I said, definitely a huge culture shock. Um, it's actually where I met my now wife i met her in 2014 uh, shortly after i moved down here and um we uh been together ever since we've lived we've actually moved to florida for two years um and we actually just moved back to tennessee uh the beginning of this year so i've, I've moved a lot <laughs> it I, sounds I, like I'm it happy, i'm happy to say that we're probably i'm not moving out of the state again if I do, it's going to be to like Montana or something far away. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, what were what's the change in the herd dynamics moving from Michigan to Tennessee, as far as like whitetail hunting? Um, as far as uh, timeline, as far as uh, like your rut and stuff, it's not too far off. Um, but I definitely seen, and maybe it's just the area that I'm in now. I see bigger doe herds here than I did up there. And I don't know if that's just, you know, from state to state or just this area in general. Um, but uh, areas that I've hunted here, um, herds have been a little bit bigger. Um, I, I don't want to say nicer quality. Because like I said, the does that I shot up there uh, were fairly healthy. They were, they were nice big does, you know, northern deer. Um, but the deer here seem a little bit healthy than like I said it, could, it may just be the area that I'm in well so. <clears throat> there's also less hunters in Tennessee correct like like I, I'm sure there had to be a lot more hunting pressure in Michigan as compared to Tennessee no uh I would I would say the area that I lived up there there was a lot of hunting pressure in the area that I lived down here um I'm honestly surprised that there isn't more hunting in the area that I'm in now. So to answer your question, I, w I would say less just by my observation. Now, as far as, you know, the actual statistical number um, of licenses sold and all that stuff or whatever, I don't know. But um, I would say in my area, it definitely seems like there's less of this. Gotcha. Now, uh, are you 
primarily still hunting public land in Tennessee, or do you have a mixture of uh, permission land, private land that you're hunting as well? Is it easier to get um, on on private if you're if you're getting on private? Um, I've done a little bit of public land hunting here. Um, we're really close to uh, uh, the Cheatham uh, management area, which is huge. And um, I've hunted there once or twice, but mainly since I've been here, um, I've been able to kind of either through uh, work relationships or friend relationships kind of get in on some private land which has been super great. I have land that, uh, that our house is on now that I actually hunt on, which is where I, I actually shot my uh, my first velvet buck. Um, nice. Actually right, I say right in my backyard, but in my backyard. And um, so primarily, I do more private land hunting here since, since we've moved back um, than public land, just because I've, I've gained, you know, um, relationships with people that have have been okay with it and we've just worked things out so it kind of benefits everybody here yeah um, yeah you've had more opportunity to get that access yeah exactly yeah no that makes sense uh so when does it when does the season start in tennessee if you're able to shoot velvet bucks down there uh that was the last week of august it was the 26th to the 28th i do believe it's only a three-day hunt um private land only and um, so Tennessee has a two buck um, state bag limit, which is nice. So I was able to take that one. Um, and then uh, I still got another tag that I'm trying to fill. So. Nice. How long did your season go till? Um, I think it was until middle of January, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. You've got a really long season. Yeah, I haven't looked at the, the regulations for, which I've looked at the regulations to see what opening is, but usually by the time it closes, I'm either tagged out or I'm, I'm, I'm either, I'm busy, so. <laughs> yeah. You just end up like running out of time and you're on to the next year, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think a lot of people run into that. So we were talking before that like you kind of made relatively a mental decision that um, hunting was not a part of your life at one point and then you really not necessarily made it the focal point of your life but it is an absolute important part of your life and you've already moved to three different states where uh, you were able to hunt totally different dynamics uh, what made you want to start traveling out of state? Because I know, like, right when we hopped on here, you had mentioned that you're going to New Mexico uh, next year. You just got back from Montana. How did that stuff all start? So it, it actually started, so a little bit on my background, aside from hunting, um, I've been big into diesel drag racing. Um, it's been a big part of my life that that's one of the reasons when we we were in Florida before we moved back to Tennessee this year. Um, we were doing a lot of stuff with that. And when my daughter was born, um, she actually just turned two on the 19th of November. Um, when she was born, a lot of stuff changed. And I know a lot of people will say that, like, when, you know, when you have kids and stuff like that, you know, there's things in your life that you, you kind of change and prioritize. And, um, you know, Drag racing and stuff is, is a lot of fun, and, and I really enjoyed it. But it was one of them things that, I mean, yeah, you can do it as a family. And I, and I know plenty of people that do that, take their you know family to the track and all that stuff. But when she was born, my priorities changed. And remembering what me and my grandfather did growing up, knowing how much that affected me as an adult, and what it instilled in me in a young age is something that I immediately thought I want my daughter to do. Like, I want to do that for my daughter because I know how important it was to my development and me being who I am today. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, I'm going to start making this a priority again. And not only for me, but for my family. 
me and my, my wife. It's it's a blessing that she is supportive as she is. Um, the hunting, just kind of like what you said about the out of state hunting, um, that is something that I've always wanted to do. But obviously, people, you know, either money reasons or time constraints or you know family or or they just you know they can't, um, don't know how or what or where to go. Um, they never do, and it was always something that I tried to you know find people to go with me, friends, buddies family members and it just got to the point where I'm like um, I'm tired of waiting and um, so uh, about two years ago um, is when kind of I tried to prioritize and I, I had done it you know the past couple of years while we were racing and stuff like that um, while we were in Florida and all that stuff but um, really heavily prioritized it in my life um, shortly after she was born. So how did you go about prioritizing that? Because I think everybody that is, uh, I don't want to say a diehard hunter, but like really loves it, wants to do that. But like you said, is either scared to make those steps or uh, kind of puts it to the side because of the amount of effort that it takes to be able to do that. Because it's not easy, right? It's it's not, and that, that's the thing. Like you know, it's, it's not it's not easy. It's not you know cheap, meaning either money or time. I mean, you, you're gonna you're gonna pay somewhere, and sometimes it's both, which normally it is. <laughs> right. And um, I've been fortunate enough that my aunt um, has been quite the adventurer here in the last few years, and um, again about meeting having good relationships with people here, um, I've been able to have pretty good opportunities to, to do the things that I'm, um, I've been doing. But to, to prioritize it, it's just one of them things that you really have to tell yourself or ask yourself, is this something that, um, you know, is important to me? Is It's imperative that I do this. And it's not only, you know, for either your mental health, um, your mental health, or, um, Know, for any other reasons that you may have. I mean, we we hunt because it's something that we enjoy to do. We love being outdoors. Um, something that, you know, bringing my daughter up, doing it, um, is something that is important to me, making sure that our creek is full um, at the end of the year. We haven't bought uh, meat at a grocery store in probably, I mean, since we've been together um, because it's been one of the things that we've, I've hunted and been able to to provide for my family. That's, that's awesome. Something, that is something that's also important to me. Now, we'll buy like chicken and stuff like that, but as sure. far as like, you know, steaks and stuff like that, we don't, we don't buy anything. We have it all. And that is something that is important to me. Um, you know, with all the stuff going on, you know, in the world today and everything like that, and, you know, just knowing where your food's coming from. And, I mean, I'm not a super big nerd when it comes to that stuff, but knowing that, you know, I harvest something and I took it from you know field to table is something that is important to me and being able to implement that in my household is something that you know my wife is okay with she understands it and you know she's more than happy I mean so you know having a good support system and somebody that you know wants the same things like that I mean because that's another thing too with, with prioritizing it sometimes it's hard because you know there's there's guys that are diehard hunters and they love it and you know their spouses or significant others girlfriends whoever just it's not their thing and that's okay I mean, there's nothing wrong with that but um it just kind of makes it a little bit harder for those type guys to kind of get out and do stuff because you know you want to keep your significant other happy and stuff like that so you know they want to go Go do go do something, and you're like, well, opening weekend, and they're like, well, I want to go do this. You know, you kind of kind of in a bind. You know, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, and that's something that I want to get to here, but um, I want to rewind here a little bit. All right, yeah. so let's say that I'm coming to you, Mike, and I want to make hunting a priority in my life. What is step one? What do you think are the first things that I need to do in my life if we're having a conversation, you and I? 
that you would recommend, all right, Torrent, this is what you need to take care of first to get your foot in the door, get your feet wet? I mean, really, the first thing is would be, I mean, to ask yourself how important it is to you. Um, you know, if it's something that you are super passionate about, the first thing to do is, is honestly figure out, you know, local organizations or find local groups of people that are, are similar minded that, you know, they're, they're in the same thing. I mean, there's plenty of Tennessee group hunters. There's, I'm sure any state has it. Um, uh, that would be somewhere where I would say to start. Like, you know, find like-minded people that can inspire you, can help you, can, uh, you know, kind of get you, get you going. Because, I mean, that's the hardest part of anything, starting. I mean, starting anything. That's always the hardest part. But once you get rolling and start meeting people and, you know, developing relationships with people that, you know, like, hey, man, uh, we're going duck hunting. You want to go? Sure. I'd love to. You know, then that, that just kind of opens the door for other things for you. And then, I mean, it's just like a snowball effect. Right. If it's something that you really passionate about and want to do, I mean, you'll, you'll find the time. I say that lightly because like we've been talking about, there's obviously a ton of constraints that kind of work against you sometimes that don't give you the ability to do that. But Well, to piggyback on, on what you're, where you're going with there, and uh, as far as like the organizations go, I would strongly recommend, and I mean, this isn't like a hard plug for Serviceside, but it is a plug. Check out oh. Serviceside, look at joining the Hunt Club, there's a network of hunters all across the country. But rewinding again, the first thing that I would say for people that want to make hunting a lifestyle is just saying yes to things instead of saying yeah. no, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. like what Mike was saying, if, if a friend asks you to go do a hunt that you typically haven't done or you're completely inexperienced, or let's say you're within service side and you haven't participated in the hunt swap program where you're you don't even have to necessarily trade a hunt but a person is offering the opportunity for you to come hunt their state or their land or their region or or whatever it is say yes like what do you got to lose um you might you might have a bad time highly unlikely but it's definitely going to get you out of your comfort zone uh and that's going to open up more doors for you And, and to kind of jump on what you're saying about service side, since I became a field staff member and stuff, it has been a 110% wonderful group of guys, you know, and, and ladies to be a part of. Um, the resources that you, that they have um, are second to none. I mean, the hunt swap stuff is, is fantastic, and I hope that, um, you know, soon I can, I can be able to offer people like, hey, like, you want to go run dogs? Like, let's go do it. You know, hey, you want to, you know, jump on? And, like, I was talking to somebody about um, going to New Mexico and, like, you know, want somebody to, to film it for me, you know, kind of thing, because that was that something that I want other people to experience. And, um, but yeah, definitely finding a group like that, I would definitely jump on, like, what you're saying, definitely checking checking it out. Um, just, like I said, the, the resources and everything that there is, information, I mean, there's plenty of people on there that are super helpful, happy to answer any questions that you may have um, about anything. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I I feel like so many people, um, maybe maybe it's a culture thing, like or like a generational thing, or just like the times that we live in. It's it's like an automatic. I can't do that. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. And that's just not the case. So. Yeah. Let's say you want to go on your first elk hunt, right? You've mm-hmm. been hunting in the east for however long. Mike, mm-hmm. have you have you done an elk hunt yet, or is New Mexico going to be your? Are you going elk yeah. hunting in New Mexico? Yes, I'm going elk hunting in New Mexico. Will be my first elk hunt ever. Okay. So you made the conscious decision to do that. How long have you been wanting to go elk hunting? Two years, man. <laughs> okay, and I, I mean, think a lot of people. Were, are in that same boat they've been thinking about it. they've been wanting to do it for a long time what 
yeah. tipped you over the edge to say, all right, I'm doing this? You know, honestly, I, I met a, uh, a good friend of mine um, through, through work. Um, and he's a, he's a big hunter. He works for um, a big name company that's involved in uh, firearms and munitions and stuff like that. And uh, we were just talking one day and, and like, it's just one of the things that just two buddies kind of BS or whatever. I was like, man, I, I, I've been trying to get on an elk hunt for a while. And it's one of them things that I've, I've looked into DIY hunts and, um, you know, going different states and looking up tags and all that stuff. I mean, it's overwhelming. And that's, and that's another thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's super overwhelming to look for all that information of what you need and what, you know, units and what to draw for and everything else. But, um, talking to him, he was like, man, he goes, uh, uh, if you want to go on elk hunt, he goes, well, I can help you get, get you set up. So I was like, well, all right, cool. So it kind of worked out having a relationship of somebody that I've met through a, a completely different industry. Um, again, like-minded, real buddy, um, just kind of, just a normal conversation, just told him that, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it for a long time and it just kind of worked out that he had an opportunity and it's like one of what you just said like saying yes to things and to stop saying no you know i believe that there's always opportunity for anybody to do anything you just have to sometimes be conscious enough and look around and see it yep and you you did hit the nail on the head earlier you're always going to have to rob peter to pay paul in some way or another so And what I mean by that, if you're looking to go out west on your first elk hunt, you're probably going to be spending at least a thousand dollars. But let's say that you wanna you wanna go next year, you wanna go next September, all right? Maybe instead of buying lunch, uh let's say you're a person that buys lunch every day, or you buy lunch twice a week or whatever it is. You don't buy lunch that week, and that goes into your elk piggy bank. I can almost guarantee by the time September rolls around, you're going to have enough money to pay for that entire trip. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's the thing. There's, I mean, Google knows everything, but if you do enough research, like everybody says, do your own research on everything, um, there are plenty of articles in, I mean, everywhere that uh, have have it broke down on, you know, DIY elk hunts. I mean, I'm not going on, like, some, you know, $20,000 guided safari, you know, high fence stuff. I mean, we're going to Mexico um, during the migration. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff there, but it, it ain't nothing. It ain't, like, no big lodge thing or nothing like that. But, um, uh, you know, saving some money for that is something that's doable. Like it's just one of them things you have to prioritize that and be like, I want to do that. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what I've been doing for the last couple of years is like doing exactly what you said. Well, I'd like to go do this tonight or I'd like to buy this today, but you know what? I really want to go out hunting, so I'm going to throw this over here. That's 110% what I've done and what's in it, like allowed me to be able to, to do this and it not affect me financially with anything else I got going on in my life. Exactly. Yep. And then I think one of the other things, all right, so now now we we're kind of talking about just dipping your toe in the water. Now, let's say that you've dipped your toe in the water and you're looking to uh, take that next step where maybe you're going to do two or three out-of-state hunts. The, the limiting factor there is going to be now you're spending much more time, all right? If you go out west yeah. and you go on an elk hunt, let's say you do it once every five years or once every every three years, right? You might go out for yeah. a week, you might go out for ten days, uh, but that's on average that's going to be the most. I would say five days is going to be the most for the person that's doing it, something like that. Um, I don't really know a whole lot of, uh, I don't know. I don't want to call them weekend warriors, but guys that are going out <laughs> once in a while, uh, yeah, and are doing it longer than ten days. One. Because typically you don't have the mindset to be able to do that. Two, you don't have the skill set to make it that long. Um, mm-hmm. Which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's that's really hard to do. Uh, you mm-hmm. look at the 
the people on a loan. Most of them drop out because the mental aspect of being in the wilderness like that is what kicks them out. It's it's yeah. you're going to go through that exact same thing when you're out there elk hunting. But anyway, yeah. uh, getting back to what I was saying, once you're starting to think about doing like two trips, three trips a year, the limiting factor is time. All right. Yeah. So yeah. what do you got to prioritize? You got to start prioritizing your life at home, making sure yeah. everything's situated with your significant other, your your yeah. kids, if you got kids, and then making yeah. sure everything's taken care of uh, with your job, all your works relatively yeah taken care of uh i would try to do it like a month to three weeks before you leave that you're on cruise control going out those those last two weeks before your trip i mean is that kind of what you're doing mike oh yeah definitely so i mean planning a trip like we did for um new mexico and even our montana trip that we just got back from um it's one of them things that Obviously, I talked to my wife about it. Um, work knew about it. That is the biggest thing is, is going to be time and making sure that you have all of your ducks in a row for the day to make sure that while you're gone, either stuff's taken care of, um, you know, everybody's happy, and you got things lined up for like you got to get a babysitter, your significant other going with you, or you know, whatever. Like having everything kind of what you're saying, like set up to like the, the, the last week or two before your trip uh, you know, things are just kind of like on autopilot um, you know bills are paid you ain't got to worry about nothing while you're there so that was the, the biggest thing it's kind of back to what I said about having you know, a supportive significant other if, if you have one I mean, if, if you're a, you know a guy that's single I mean, you probably have half of, half of more than half or less stuff that you have to worry about mm-hmm. um, but having somebody that's on board um, that you know can can man the fort, you know while you're gone, and they're and they're okay with you. So. And covering but, uh, the fort while you're gone too, like like you said, that I yeah. mean that's something that I didn't even cover there or or really bring up. That's a great point. Um, communication, I think, is really key. So, well, yeah, if you need to, if you need making sure that you have everything dialed in while you're gone, and then potentially if you need to communicate just to check in while you're gone. Cause I know that uh, when I go out hunting for extended periods of time, my fiance would like me to check in at least every two days. She would prefer every day, but for sure every two days, just to make sure everything's good. I make sure that I do that at the very least two days. I try to do every day just for peace of mind for her. Exactly. Cause I mean, you don't want them being a nervous wreck while you're gone because then they're going to come back and you're all pumped and stoked because you just got back, you know, killing the biggest thing you've ever killed in your life. And they're like, wow, I'm glad you had fun. I was miserable the whole time. And then it kind of, it skews your mood right in the, right in the place. Like, you are totally bummed out now. At least, it, for me, it would be. Like, if I was in that position and I got home and that's how, you know, my wife was, I'd be like, wow, okay. Well, that's not okay. You know, you got to make sure that, like you said, you know, checking in, just touching base, just making sure everything's good, um, you know, and, and communicating. That's just like you said, it's communication. So when you went to Montana, what was that like? And, was that, I was, and, probably, and was that your first trip out west? I had been, um, I had been to Colorado uh, when I worked with uh, General Motors uh, for two weeks. I went out there. Uh, Denver, Golden area, went to Dillon. Um, so m- mountainous area, and it was it was absolutely beautiful. Um, but the north region, I was that was my first time, um, and it is a it's it's almost so unbelievable that you can't really put it into words. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is it's its own beautiful. I mean, it is the epitome of you know the West. And I mean, being in Montana, I mean, a lot of people maybe not consider that like the West, but uh, it's it's beautiful. I mean, it was my first trip up there, and um, we actually got an invite back um, for next year if we wanted to. But um, yeah, to answer your question, it, it was it was beautiful. It was uh, something else. What, what region were you in? 
we were in the north region. So there's a little town um, called Wolf Point. Mm-hmm. Um, that the closest town to where we were. Um, Wolf Point is actually on uh, Indian Reservation up there. Uh, we were south of the Indian Reservation, um, south of the Missouri River. So, gotcha. Yeah, that's a gorgeous region up there. Um, I've yeah. been to Montana once, uh, and I was in the Northwest region, and it's exactly like you described. Uh, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, just the terrain. I mean, it, being you know, living in Michigan, Florida, Tennessee. I mean, I have. You know your your climate changes and your your terrain and everything else that goes along with that. Um, when you get up there, and it's obviously completely different. You know, you've got sage and you know plateaus and wide open of nothing. And you know when you get there, you you can grasp the reason that they call it Big Sky Country hmm. because the the mule deer. I actually named them um, eight o'clock sunrise because up there you you know it says sunrise at eight o'clock. Well, at seven o three, it's already light enough that you can shoot something because there's there's nothing up there to obstruct the view of the sky. And I mean that's it's I guess sounds kind of silly, but like I I understand now why they call that. And I mean it's it's Nobody's ever been there. It's kind of like, yeah, you can imagine it, but until you really see it, it's, it's hard to to understand it. I guess if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Um, yeah, I mean, depending upon where you're at in in the state, um, or which side of the Rockies you're on. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like western Western Montana with the Rockies and stuff like that, it'll be a little bit different. But yeah. Yeah, but no, I, I totally get exactly what you're saying. Um, It was like that in some of the locations where I was at in Idaho, where it's basically like all prairie. And <laughs> yeah, exactly like you said, sunrise is at 8, 830. And yeah, seven o'clock, you can see. Yeah. It's it's wild. It's different. And the other thing, man, like you look up in the sky and it's it's one of the most incredible things you've ever seen because there's absolutely like zero light pollution. It, exactly. Like at night, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, we actually seen, I think it was the Friday or Saturday we were there. We actually seen a little tiny bit of the northern lights when it came down. It was a bit. I mean, it wasn't enough to like where you like you could take a picture and actually see it, but like by the next night, you could barely see a little bit of it. It was that was super cool. Yeah, without but, a doubt, without a doubt. Oh, uh, um, go ahead. Um, I was going to ask you, so what did you, what did you learn from that trip? Uh, what did you take away from that trip as far as like adding to your hunting lifestyle and kind of like the whole topic of what this podcast is about? Um, I took from that, um, just a different, I guess, style of hunting. I mean, running dogs and stuff like that gives you, I want to say for prepared you, but gives you kind of an idea for, like, spot stuff. Um, obviously, you're out, you're moving around, you know, you're in their, you know, you're in their territory, you're in their house, per se. Um, you know, you're trying to scope them out, get them with zero cover. I mean, it's super, super, super challenging. Um, but being able to, you know, harvest an animal like that in those conditions um, gives you a whole new respect for that style of hunting and that that lifestyle. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, you know, I'm saying live in Montana where they live in those regions where that's the primary hunting they do. And I mean, it's completely different than, you know, the hunting that I've been used to. And it's something that I thoroughly enjoy. It's something that I'm, you know, anticipating the days of when I can go back and do it again. Um, mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, Mike, we are just hitting an hour here. Uh, I usually wrap up podcasts with this question. And what is one thing that you wish you knew about hunting or 
something that you could add to your repertoire about hunting that you wish you knew that you know now that you wish you would have knew 10 years ago? Well, that's a tough question because there's obviously a lot. (laughs) Having the, I guess, the ability to um, make the decision and make this more of a priority earlier on than what I did. I wish What do you think prevented you? I mean, this is kind of circling back, but like, what do you think just prevented you from making it a lifestyle earlier on in your life? Do you think it could have been a maturity thing? Do you think you just weren't ready for it? Uh, Yeah, not to say that I could definitely see it being a maturity thing. I mean, it was something that, I mean, obviously growing up doing it was something I always did, and maybe when that stint in Michigan when I didn't, just the lifestyle I had then, and then things kind of changed. It was just a a growing space for me. It was one of them things that, um, you know, being without it for so long, you really start to miss something, and that's when you truly know that it's it's something that you love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that you know you you're gonna make time for. It's something that you're gonna save money for something that you're gonna you're, you're gonna make a part um when you're without it for certain you know for a long period of time um because i would say if, if during that time i didn't have you know the heartstrings pulling on me to want to be in the woods to wanting me to get back and i kind of just i i would say moved on from it um i don't think it would be you know a, a, a giant part of my life that it is today um, you know, had I not had those pulling on me, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, going back to my childhood, you know, and being in the woods and doing all that stuff. Um, so, don't you find it interesting how um, some of those things that you take for granted, like, really come full circle? One hundred percent, and that's. Uh, Honestly, you hit the you like hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, not taking the opportunity and chances you have for granted, kind of like what we talked about earlier. Um, you know, saying yes to opportunities. You know, if somebody's willing to invite you along, that you know, that, that's my thing. I, I try to do that now because I, I guess to answer your question, I think looking back ten years ago, I would try to help as many people that has helped me like I'm trying to do today. You know, guys that are wanting to get into hunting or guys that have questions and stuff. Not that I, I didn't help anybody that, you know, I'd help anybody that needed anything. But, um, you know, being more apt to trying to get more people involved because knowing how important it is to me, I know there's lots of people out there today that are trying to get into it, like we've been talking about, making it a lifestyle, making it priority and everything else. And they just don't know where to start. And, mm-hmm. you know, having a healthy hand can really, you know, change somebody's life. For sure. So, like it, it's changed mine. So, yeah. Uh, I oftentimes look back at like how I was raised and like what my grandfather did for me. And I feel like I owe it to him to pay that forward. It, exactly. 100%. That's, that's why this relationship was so special to me because um, he actually went with me and I couldn't have asked for know i guess a better companion um because it was special to me knowing you know he's like man i've I've always wanted to do this and it just it worked out that you know i called him it was monday or tuesday before the friday that i was leaving i was like hey do you do you want to go he's like let me talk to your grandma i'll call you back he called me like three hours later said i'm (laughs) packing my bag i'll see you friday morning i was like okay (laughs) that's awesome and think of so, think of how special that moment was for him. Exactly, and and that's I honestly think you know, kind of what you're saying about full circle is, you know, having so much instilled 
from him to me, and then me being able to, I mean, I'm not going to stand back to you know, what he's done for me in my life, but, you know, being able to take him with me, I mean, that's a that's a trip in a lifetime for me and for him, and then for us to be able to do it together. I mean, there's lots of people that would, I mean, I'm sure yourself included, that would love to share, you know, an experience like that with, with your grandfather, and um, it's something that I, I will forever remember for the rest of my life. It was, uh, it was something very special. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, buddy, I, I, I'm super pumped that you got to be able to do that because not a lot of people get to go through those experiences. And it's like you said, those are once-in-a-lifetime moments. Yeah. Well, uh, any closing thoughts? Um, well, kind of like we talked about earlier, if you haven't uh, checked out service guide, you definitely should because a great group of guys, great organization, um, doing one thanks for the hunting industry and stuff. And uh, I don't know if anybody has any questions or anything. I mean, I'm always always out after help anybody out that I can. So. And that's what I'd like to uh, throw out. So, Mike, if anybody has any questions, um, they want to talk to you about how to make hunting a, a, a priority or just general hunting lifestyle advice, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, I got a TikTok, but um, my Instagram handle is Dirty Chevy Forty Five, um, and obviously my Facebook is my good old name. And then, uh, yeah, reach out to me on there. Um, I try to keep up with content and stuff like that. But um, yeah, if you got any questions or want to talk or chit chat or I don't know if you want to hunt or something, let's do it. All right, I'll make sure I have uh, Mike's social handles in the show notes and thank you mike for jumping on and and sharing your experiences this was a really really good conversation i think it's going to go uh i think it's going to be very very well received um it's one of the different ones we've done so i'm pretty excited to get this one out there yeah man i can't can't wait all right thank you everybody for tuning in to the whitetail theories podcast